Some of my best memories with you are exercising. It's just runs. I think Especially I'm going to remember it was in Viet- Vietnam or wherever it was in the world. Yeah, well, we ran in so many different countries <laughs> together. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we went to a single place and we didn't that go was on like a run. A morning ritual. It was yeah. great. Yeah. London, France, Italy, Asia. A, all like all of Asia, like yeah, we, Vietnam, we, Singapore, Hong Kong. Yeah. We went to, remember that park in Japan, Tokyo. Yeah, Tokyo. we did. What, what were they doing? Tai Chi. Tai I don't Chi even know what they were doing, but I, I have videos. It was funny. It's like we go to this park and then there's a huge group of people and it's a massive circle. I don't know how, it's how like wide was that circle? I don't know how wide that circle was. It was was very wide, though. There was probably at least 100 people there in a circle, seeing a line. Maybe 50. No. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating it. it, I bet if you pulled up the video, there's more than you think. Probably 50. You're probably right. But it was a lot. It was more than 10 or 20, right? (laughs) As soon as it gets more than 20, I think it's a lot. We just stumbled into it, and they're just doing like this little dance. It's yeah, fun. This choreographed stretches and I like Japan a lot. I know. If we could go back to any of those places, where would you go? Tokyo. Me too. I'd go back like to Japan. I want to travel around there more. Really? More to Asia? Part of me wants to go. I'm actually thinking I'm trying to convince my boss to well not convince him, but he mentioned yesterday morning that he's doing a summit in Portugal that he might ask me to come out to. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking of going and visiting our other friend in Germany. Right now, Michael Phil, Fillmore? No, not Michael. Is it sad that I miss people's last names sometimes? No, there's a lot of people to know. There and is, you can only remember. Moore is out in Germany. Oh, right is now. he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to remember Michael Moore, though. I know. I feel like that's out of all people, I feel ashamed. There's There are certain people that you just can't forget. That's one of them. Yeah. He's great. So I was thinking maybe, I haven't reached out to him, but. If I go in September, I maybe go see him in Germany. That would be fun. Yeah. Did, I, did I tell you about the couple I stayed with in Germany? I feel like you did tell me about that when you were before you went to England. You and Loren did that trip, and yeah, and she flew home. So we were in Norway, and she flew home from Norway, and I flew over to Prague, and I got lost. And I was like, Prague sucks. I'm out of here. You know, because like the bus system didn't make any sense. Like I went on the bus and it said it was going to bring me one direct, like one place in the city. And it didn't, it brought me somewhere completely different. I had no idea where I was and I had to figure out my way. So finally I found a bus and I'm like, I'm just going to take off to Munich. And so I just left Prague. I didn't even, <laughs> I'm sure it's a great city. I got to go with somebody who knows where they're going. Though. You loved Germany, didn't you? I did, but I met a couple when we were in Norway we had dinner with them and we just kind of randomly took a little road trip around the island that we were on. Cause there were like almost nobody on that island. It was very low density population, maybe in the hundreds, you know, on the whole island. And I got their contact information when I went to Munich, I just reached out to them on like WhatsApp. I was like, Hey, I'm going to actually change my plans from Prague. I'm going to go to Munich do you mind if I stay with you? And he's like, yeah, come on over. The guy was awesome. Like that night that I got there, he took me out to dinner. We went and had this like awesome German dinner. And then he 
walked me around the entire city and gave me like a like a three hour history lesson That's on so cool. Munich and like showed me different buildings, showed me like where Hitler like started giving his like campaign and like different Did I just tell you iconic places. A travel guide app. No, but mm-hmm. isn't that something? Is it is it different than like something like Airbnb does with like the experiences maybe it's probably similar <clears throat> and to be honest i would never do it because i feel like it's a really oversaturated market and hard but essentially just uberize the tour guide experience where you find like local people yeah but you could use an algorithm to match your interests to their interests and because at the end of the day like i think one of the best tips like people know where the greatest stuff are and but like, how do you access locals, the locals, like they know the experience of like the food and what to go see and when to go see it. And sometimes I think in like, to be honest, it's like I lived in Arizona and how many times did I go to the Grand Canyon? Like maybe once or twice in my yeah. life. It's not like you go to them all but the But that's time, the tourist but, destination. But the you're right. So I guess it depends what experience, but if you want like a true, like native experience, like how cool would that be to have like essentially someone that, and you could have two services. One, they just plan your day for you and another premium offering they like go with you yeah show you what to do but that would be cool like how many new yorkers go to the statue of liberty probably not well there's a reason for that (laughs) yeah but like probably not very many like it's it's just one of those places that people from out of state or who don't visit very much it's true i want to go and see it's funny because in new york when i live there people would avoid Times Square. They would walk around it. Yeah. Right? Because like yeah. any true to you, New York. It's a trap. It's a trap. And then the other thing they would do is you could tell someone's a tourist by the fact that they would just stop and take pictures in the middle of like the busy sidewalks. They would just stop. But you get with one of those people and you're like, what do you do for fun? Where do you go? Yeah. Like, and, and they could show you some cool stuff that you're not going to see. If you ever go back to New York, I have my list where I have my local, what I would tell people to do. I would love to go back to New York, but probably, probably not for a while. I feel like New York and LA and San Francisco are just trash at the moment and they need to get cleaned up before I have any desire to visit. I guess the real question is, will they ever get trashed or not be trashed? I don't, I don't know. know. New York to me Maybe. is different, but for sure I feel that way about San Francisco. I'm going to visit DC in a couple of weeks, so I'm curious to see how DC is. Let me know. I've never been to DC. I've never visited. The only time I went to DC, I was like eight years old, and I was like sick as can be, and just remember hanging out in my parents' stroller that was really meant for probably a three-year-old or four-year-old, and I was just sick as a dog. Yeah. But... It'll be fun. I I haven't either, and I do think like you just going for fun. Um. Yeah, I would say, and I just feel like you just need sometimes where you just need something <laughs> to look forward to and something that's just different than yeah. Life. So yeah, I just convinced my brothers we we're trying to debate between going to like Vancouver, British Columbia, or going to. Cancun, Mexico or Costa Rica and and then my brother's like let's go to London and I'm like okay you've never been and you probably need more than just three days 
So we settled on D.C. because none of us have been in a while, and it can just do it in like three or four days. Yeah. I didn't love London, to be honest. Like, okay. it was fine. It was fine. It felt like it felt like a New York to me, though. Yeah, I could see that. I, I do think there's, for me, what I love about London is it's probably a easier gateway into the rest of Europe. That's true. So like, like, it's a nice hub. It's a hub. And, like, personally, if I could live in any big city right now, it probably would be London. Yeah. And I don't know where in London. I don't know like any of that stuff, but like. I liked Oxford a lot. Yeah. I actually have a, well, I guess I'd call him a friend or a person I know that's actually headed to Oxford this fall for his MBA. Cool. Yeah. But Oxford was fun. I would love to, I feel like I would love to live in London for two, maybe max two years, a year and a half, and then just like go venture out on the weekends yeah. go to like Ireland and Scotland, go to do a road trip through Italy and hit, you know, every gelato place on the map if possible. Yeah. Go you got to, Como. you got to go to Belgium. Belgium. Have you been to Belgium? No. Uh, it's, maybe I'll go this, maybe I'll go in September. It's gorgeous. I lo- yeah. I love Belgium. Um, yeah, there's a lot of places I want to go. I want to go to like Abu Dhabi. I've never seen. Never seen anywhere out in that direction. You know, I feel like the Middle East, when I think about it, there's one, like, if you go to, like, Jerusalem, that time frame, it's very different to go to Qatar and Abu yeah. or Yeah. But then I also think, like, and I know this isn't necessarily the Middle East, but I think about, like, going to Egypt or something like that. Oh, like, yeah. That'd be sweet. Yeah. I feel like it's just so different than Asia, so different than... Have you heard that that whole area, it's like desert now, but it used to be like rainforest. Rainforest? Mm-hmm. Like super green. Like, are we talking about Like 12,000 years ago. 12,000, okay. Yeah, like a long time ago. But like the whole theory on the pyramids, they don't know how the pyramids were built, but they think that the pyramids were built at a time... That was more lush. Well, there's it one. There's desert? one. There's one theory that it was built pre-Egypt. So, no like the way. Egyptians inherited the pyramids rather than building the pyramids. But then, what about all? The, did they put their symbols on the pyramids? You know what I mean? Because there's like a lot of Egyptian. Yeah, maybe. Did they like? Yeah. And I don't know. And then you're telling me that there's well, because it's race. It's hard to date. It's hard to date the pyramids because it's stone. You know, it's like you date the stone. It's like, it's like, okay, well, it's as old as the earth is. And so it's like, how do you actually know when the pyramids were built? You don't. It's just a great question. You can know when someone was buried or when a body was put in or other things because you can potentially try age. But But that doesn't mean that it was originally when it was created. But then it like, then my question would be, how many of those were created and what was their purpose? And I had no at idea. At the end of the day, I should yeah. come to the conclusion. There's just a lot of things that I don't know. Yeah, there's a ton. You have to be okay with not knowing. Like, that's just how life is. Like, you got to know the stuff that is knowable and. Or worth trying to know. Or worth trying to know. Like, there's so much information that you can fill your head with, and most of it is not going to have any effect on your life. Hmm. No impact. A very small amount of the but, well, whole information in the world will actually have any type of impact I guess on your you're life. you're saying the amount of like useless information, but I would say on some level, like knowledge is power. 
Oh, right? I, I so, totally agree. But you have to you have to prioritize what knowledge that you want to learn. You know, like there's definitely a like hierarchy date, in like what's worth taking your time. How to handle women. Yeah. That's important knowledge. That do you know, do you know, know, do you know yet how to handle women? <laughs> well, it depends how we're talking about it, but, um, not enough to solve the issue of being single still. So, well, it's like, I don't know. The world is weird right now. I was like, I've, I, I, I'm not single. I'm married, but I have a lot of single friends. And I hear a lot of stories and I am very interested in like why the dating market and everything is the way it is because you have like the amount of sex that people 20 and up are having is like a fraction of what it used to be. Like people are in fewer relationships. People want fewer relationships. People are having fewer sex mm-hmm. and it's like, why? We know that the data also says that the happiest people and the most satisfied people are those in marriages and long-term relationships as a whole. Probably not in every instance, obviously. There's a lot of divorces and stuff. Yeah, but I think there's probably multiple factors to it. So it's probably not something that's really easy to just no. sum down to one very, thing. But very I do think complicated. It's somewhat, I would say, sad, but the way society views things and views how we should act and what are right. Like, I guess the world or society, whatever we're calling it, has a view of what should you bring your happiness and joy. And I think it's pivoted away from human connection. It's pivoted away from like traditional views of the role of a man and a, and a woman and what relationship they can build and what family they can develop. And, and I also feel like, say, I don't know if this is unfounded because I just feel like I get older, but has the world been as selfish as we are today? Like is selfish the right word or is it just less interested in other people? I think people have always been selfish, but there's a degree at where you being interested in somebody else is actually kind of a selfish thing. So it's like me taking care of my wife and kids is kind of selfish for me because me having them around makes my life easier and better. Mm, So I I see what you're saying is that you're self-interested in the fact of how that like, but when I say selfish, I just mean, yeah, maybe just self-interested that you don't care about your impact to others or care about, because I, I don't know. I just think there's a correlation in my life by the way, it just feels weird talking into your mic. Um, there's you a correlation. You can move it out of your way know, a little bit. I can, funny. I can increase. I feel like I'm on some show, Sean. And I well, like, you are on a show. I know. But, but, but <laughs> just when, pretend nobody's going to listen because nobody probably will listen. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's very but new. When I think about it, like the happiest times in my life, there's a correlation between how focused I was on myself versus others. Yeah. And. Like, I do think that there is something that's happening that makes connection harder, which it shouldn't. Like, I don't know what about me getting older and like how this impacts marriage, but like at the end of the day, I think the more we can do to like try to create 
connection, like the like the scriptures say, it's not good for men to be alone, you know, and out of hell that men might be men or they might have joy. It just the more I've realized like there's something healing and powerful in just being with others and and, and listening to each others and experiencing things together. It's like so I think for me one thing I've recently whether good or bad is just thinking about like what drive how do I derive meaning out of my daily life and the actions that I'm doing and the dumb job that you potentially sometimes have to go to and spend the majority of your day in or the people that I spend time with and <clears throat> I'm still in the quest of really understanding what that is at least in the in the momentary time that I'm experiencing but I think there is just value in connecting with others and experiencing things and helping each other through and inspiring us and inspiring each other to think about like what more we can accomplish or what we can do. There's value just inherently in meaning just in that alone. I 100% agree. I think that's one reason like it might be weird to talk into the mic, but this is a, this is a environment where you can talk to somebody and have their full attention and not have to worry about really anything else while we're in this conversation, right? It creates like, even though the microphone's here, it creates an environment where we can actually have a deep conversation that you're not going to have otherwise. Like it's an excuse, it's right? Purposeful. To say, put down your phone, like talk to me, talk to me. we're going to have a conversation. It doesn't matter about what, but this is, this is what it is. And so, 100%, I agree, the value of human connection is being lost in the world. And I think it's sad that we need things like this or whatever to have those conversations. I was going to say, I think it's really cool that you're going on a trip with your brothers too because there are certain, you don't, you don't know when is going to be your last opportunity to do that, hmm. right? to go to DC or to do whatever. And so you take the chances when you have them to be able to experience yeah. something with someone, right? Yeah. I'm really happy. I went on the trips that we went on together because that was, I got that chance once to go on those trips. It was Isn't a one time sad, thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sad, but it's also, it's like, that's what makes them so valuable. Yeah. Like it, if, if you had those trips all the time, they somewhat wouldn't. And the fact that it's scarce and then the fact that it's unique, it meaning like even if we went to the same places, it wouldn't be the same trip because, mm -hmm. and even if we went to the same places with the same people doing the same things, it still wouldn't be the same trip. And so the uniqueness of that experience, but I think there is just, yeah, I. I think that's what makes life beautiful though, doesn't it? Is the uniqueness of it. Well, it's just fleeting, you know, because your position in life, your situation is ever changing. Even if you feel like you're in the same position I know, now. Sean. I don't know if my life is that much. <laughs> well, it is though, you know, because your, your ideas change, your thoughts change, the people yeah. around you change. The only thing constant in life is change. Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, I think it's like, it's actually interesting because I've, when I think when you're younger, you, whether conscious or unconscious, try to avoid um, pain or 
non-happy parts, but like, I think I've like come to grips or at least accepted that there are really good times ahead and really hard times ahead. Like there is both that pendulum will swing both ways. And it's like being comfortable with the fact that I'm going to have some crappy times and it's going to be hard. But yet like just embracing the fact that like that is what it's almost like I've, I've thought about like an experience different times where I've been really apathetic or depressed or where it's like lack of emotion, lack of this yin and yang. But it's like, that's like the beauty of life is the fact that it's like what provides savor to it's the salt of your life. It's the fact that like the flavor comes from Mm -hmm. the fact that you have both and you can't experience the highs and never have a low because you would never understand what a high is if you did not have that opposite. So it's like this, there has to be opposition in all things. And it's just, I think to expect the life of ease or expect a life of just pure bliss. It'd be boring. Well, it it just wouldn't, it'd be boring and it probably would not be as enriching as you would hope it to be or meaningful or powerful. So, so it's interesting when you think about it is like, I don't know when the hard times are going to come and I don't know when the easy times are going to come. You know, I think about, like when you found out your mom had cancer when we were on that trip, like that was probably a really hard moment. And to be in the, one of the most pretty places or a pretty place and just crazy and not knowing exactly what was going to happen. And and I've often used this phrase, I'm like, we, your whole life can be changed in just one moment. Like you think about the first time you matched with Loren on Mutual. You like did not know in that moment what the impact that would have for potentially this life and eternity. I had no idea. But yet, so it, it is the concept that your life can be changed or your forever can be changed in a moment, yet you wait forever for those moments to come. Mm-hmm. So like for me, who knows, maybe I have met my wife to become, but, or hopefully that actually still happens. But I, I have no concept like it could be tomorrow it could be 10 years ago it could have but that moment could come and pass but yet it's hard to recognize it in the moment how significant it was now and it isn't just one moment it's compounded but there is always a starting point do you think do you think part of the problem today for what we're talking about is just that people are unprepared for those moments <clears throat> I it seems like selfishness or, or self-interest, but maybe they're just unprepared. Maybe people are just like I feel like there's I don't know if I'm well maybe unprepared to take advantage of those potential moments. Like because I guess what in some theories, right? Like let's take dating and marriage. I can meet the perfect girl a hundred times, but if I'm not ready to progress in that relationship or if I don't have the right, um, you have to be on the same level as the perfect girl, same, same level or just in the same mindset or place ready. Like it's, it's somewhat of a timing thing. And sometimes it's a person thing. And sometimes it's a, and do I think that like, yeah, there is like, I, I often think about this whole balance between 
taking personal responsibility for where you are at in life and like, I guess trying to make sure that you're ready for that moment to come yet being okay with the fact that you don't control when the moment comes, right? Like this balance between taking responsibility for where I'm at because of the decisions that I have made. Like, cause my life is a sum total of a millions of decisions that I've made since birth till now. And it's, I think irresponsible to be like, well, my life is the way it is because of someone else or because of happenstance, because it's like, it's such an incremental journey where we've made decision by decision. That's like led me here, but all my decisions I've ever made still don't necessarily always control the outcome. Like, you know, you made the choice. If we take your example to be on a dating app, to be willing and frankly, to continue in that journey with Loren, because it wasn't, you know, there was probably multiple times where you could have like gone the offer out, but you made the choice to stay on now. But also, yeah, it's just, it's such a complicated thing. So when you say that, like, is it such that just people are not prepared for those moments of challenge? I think that's an element. Let me, let me get you what into the frame of mind of why I'm asking that question the way I'm asking it. I texted Laurent <clears throat> today. I was um, listening to another podcast and they had brought up the fact their their reasons and how they framed it is why men are weak today. What makes men weak today? And they gave six reasons. And I want to get your thoughts on these. One, pornography. Two, substance abuse. Three, lack of physical strength. Four, video games. Five, no good role models. And six, loneliness. And multiple of those things, I think, disrupts real human contact. So like pornography, it's very well evident that pornography can disrupt, you know, your desire for sexual intercourse, right? Whether you're married with your spouse or whether you're single with just another person. Um, or even to go and like search for those things. And it's so widely available, but like even things like loneliness, because loneliness occurs not because you're alone. I don't think being alone actually. Well, you can be a lot of people and still be alone. Yeah. You can have great friends, you can have great family, like people all around you, but you feel alone still in your life in one way or another. And I think that's a real problem today because we're so much more connected than we've ever been. But because of that ever-present connection, I think we're missing real human connection um, to a larger degree than we've ever been missing it. So I think... That, that, that's why I say unprepared because some of these things in life and it's of no fault of our own, like technology brings it in, like, well, you know, just what all sorts of things. Say is like it, to me, when I look, listen to that, at least I listen to repeat the six and all of these pornography, substance, substance abuse, abuse, which are both widely lack available, of physical strength, right? Um, well, video games, video games takes attention away from yeah. social networks. No good role models. No good role models. And loneliness. And loneliness. So 
like I think the interdependencies between those things, right? Like in isolation, for sure, the pornography has an impact on the brain and such, but you have to think about like, okay, well, why are they seeking for that behavior in the first place? Like what, and part of it, you know, could be just simply that, well, it's to fulfill like a biological need or to get a response out of you. But also is it because you're experiencing pain from something else so that your brain is seeking a different avenue or an escape escape of that? And is that linked to loneliness? Is that linked to less self-confidence because you don't have physical strength? Is it because you didn't have a role model to teach you these things or because when your dad or your mom, maybe they had a tough relationship. Like, I guess what I'm saying is some of those things on behaviors, it's like, oh man, that is the cause of the reason why. But it's also because if you peel back the layer of the onion, a few reasons why they might have substance abuse or why they might have pornography or why they feel alone, there may be other causal mechanisms in their life or experiences that they're trying to cope with. They're trying to make sense of the world with. They're trying to avoid some potential pain. They're trying to, and don't get me wrong, there may be some people that are just frankly addicted to porn because they're idiots and, or because they got I I wouldn't even say it's because they're idiots. I I think it's simply, it's filling a need that they have that is they're choosing to fill it in that way versus uh, maybe a more healthy way. Yeah. And you also have to remember that like I, I've, so I have gone to therapy at different phases in my life. And I remember one time realizing that when something becomes conscious, it becomes like at that moment, it becomes powerful to you because you can start to understand like why you are, behaviors are happening because there's a lot of things that are happening that are always like conscious. Like you don't really know why you're doing something, but there's an portion of your conscious brain that, and it's partially like in some ways that almost feels like animalistic, like their behaviors. There's a reason why men and women are attracted to each other just biologically and unconsciously because our human species wouldn't exist if there was not a reason for us to essentially come together to create humans. Right. But I also think it's like, there's a, so like, I guess what I'm getting is the natural desire to feel these things isn't inherently the bad thing, but what's bad is that you sometimes like you, you get somewhat of a high from that experience or from seeing something and you get a release as a result. So the, something that was designed for such a good reason then can be used improperly to avoid pain or to mask or you know what I mean like it's like used in an, an intention that's not meant to be like I I think about um how even the the phrase like we made love right which sucks like how many people are actually not in love and having sex, right? Like when you disconnect the worldly desire or the way to get off from like the, the, in my opinion was the expression of what it actually should be. Like when maybe I'm just a romantic or maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I have a too altruistic view on it, but like the purpose of sex was to 
is like a physical expression of how you are feeling towards someone. And it's like being able to help each other in some ways, even in that moment, have this experience, this high or something, right? Like, I don't think that's just your opinion though. I think that it's been pretty much proven at this point that sex creates bonding bonds. Yes. And that's the purpose of it. But the problem is, is we cheapen it by trying to go do it with a million different people. And then we have, then we have like, well, why do we have a problem here in society? (laughs) Right? Like maybe it's going back to your selfishness thing observation at the beginning which is like why do we cheapen it well it's because we want to feel good in that moment you know i used to think about like kissing a lot of girls because unfortunately i've done enough of that and like it's so hard because i think in some ways and i actually think about this now i want that bond so bad but I choose to do it with so many people that like the bond is actually there. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like you, yeah. you're doing the motion or you're doing the action without the emotion and hope to eventually hope that the emotion comes. And then sometimes it just feels good and it well, fades. I think that's the problem with pornography, right? Is because people want the feeling of sex without the work to get there. Because 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you know, you have a woman, you have a man or two men or whatever, if they're gay, but like you have like these people, this guy chasing this woman and she's generally 40 years ago is not just going to go sleep with the guy. I think that happened a lot less than it happens today. And so he's going to have to, or it wasn't as public or it wasn't as public, you know, it wasn't as socially acceptable as it is today. And so he's going to have to treat her in some sort of respectful manner to to get her trust. To get that, they would have to go through more of the gauntlet. And that's the purpose of marriage, really, is to say, hey, listen, uh, we are bound to one another. You can trust me. You know, it's it's a whole thing of trust and security. Because the number one thing, you can read any psychology book, the number one thing women want and desire security. is security. That's it. I mean, is that why you have big muscles, Sean? Yeah, so that my wife stays attracted to me. She knows I could protect her. I actually do think that's a really big thing that people look over um, today is the ability to protect your family as a man. I don't ever want like, will I have to use my ability to fight or to overpower someone to protect my family? I hope not. I hope I never have to do that. But do I like the odds of me being able to do that yeah. against the general average person out there? Yes, I do. And I think you're emphasizing at least in the physical ability to protect, but financial ability. Well, and security and protection maybe are synonymous, but they're not exactly the same thing. I would, or they're really similar. But I do think it's like emotionally. <laughs> So how do I protect my wife and make her feel secure emotionally, um, intellectually, physically, right? So like, that's why, like I, as much as I hate the fact that girls care so much about height, I can't blame them from the fact that they want to feel secure, you yeah. know? And, and then just like, yeah, financially. And so it's like, I do think there is an element and it's a personal opinion but I think we do have a role as a man and a woman has a role as a woman. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh, not both of us can have incomes or careers or lead the family in different ways or play different roles. But I think as individuals, like even if you broke it down, you could break it down to gender or you could break it down into just on an individual basis. What are you geared to? You know, it's actually interesting though. Like, isn't there societies where women were the protectors? Oh, I don't know of any. Do you? I could do the research. I mean, I, I know of Wonder Woman, but she's, she's Marvel a character or yeah, DC. Or but I do think there may be cultures where the women were the fighters, but maybe not. But I think you have a different species, maybe. Maybe. And, but regardless, it doesn't matter. Like, I think in, I don't know, I just, it is interesting getting back to those like primal nature versus nurture. What are we built as men to do and as women to do and how much of it is just a construct that we've been created by society and that's constantly shifting versus something that is just innate and born within you. I think a lot of these things like that list of six can all be cured with a conscious effort of self mastery because whether it's pornography or substance abuse or working out in the gym, physical strength, right? Or even loneliness, like setting up something like a podcast or setting aside time to actually connect with people in a way that you can do it. However you want to do that. I think you can solve a lot of those things with conscious effort in a directed manner. So it's like, I don't know. I think being able to master yourself, your emotions, your reactions to life. Cause as you said, you're going to have good times. You're going to have bad times. You don't get to control what comes when, but you can control how you react to it yes. and what you do about it. Yep. And I think most people who have problems with pornography or substance abuse or whatever, a bad time hits them and they turn toward their favorite outlet to escape. Yeah. And, versus something better. But to go back to my earlier point is sometimes that's very conscious and sometimes it's not. And like you create neural pathways in your brain, which say I get this stimulus and then I get this response. So when I feel this way about myself or I see something and it, it takes serious effort to break whatever bonds you have, whether it's substance abuse or, but I do think it's like, like part of this purpose in life is for Sean to figure out how to be the best Sean possible and for Josh to figure out how to be the best Josh possible, which are different because you're definitely going to always lift more weight than I will or um, do more pull-ups. But it's this whole like notion that, and I've just thought about like this, like it's kind of crazy, Sean. And I don't know how we got to these deep levels, so I apologize because I know you, you. We both gravitate to it a lot. I know, but that it's it's honestly part of what I love. I to be honest, I know, and I love it too. So that's why it's easy to just feed into it. But it's this notion that I've been thinking about is like part of our inherent worth is due to the fact of our capacity for good and evil. Like both sides of the coin, you can choose to have an impact for both. And in you, within you is that capacity. Like it's crazy 
but you have the capacity to either be Mother Teresa or Hitler. Being born means you have the capacity for both. Now, what you actually end up doing and the impact that you have comes down to a factor of choices you made, experiences that you had. Like, I, granted, I know, like, I, I can't judge anyone. I can't judge Hitler. Now, can I be sad by the things that he did in this world? Yes. And do I think they are painful? Yes. And I can choose between right and wrong because I believe we have that innately. But it's just interesting that, like, everything one that's born has the capacity for both. And I think that the people who can do the greatest amount of good going along that can also do the greatest amount of evil, vice versa. I would think the pendulum has to swing both ways. Like yeah. your capacity for one is the is probably as strong in one direction as the other. Yeah. So I bet if Hitler had made different choices in his life, he was probably one of the most evil people that the world has known. But I think if he had chosen differently he had capacity to probably make the most amount like the biggest impact for good if he wanted to i i I think that hypothesis is probably pretty sound to think that if you can swing on such one side of the scale that you could swing so far on the other yeah and it it's so interesting then if you go to the fact that like you know even your daughter canyon she has that capacity for both, you know, and then it goes back to, she does, but at this point it's small, right? Well, Cause she's but, only, well, I think like, I guess what I'm saying is it's small for her ability to impact today, but like from day one, your capacity capability, right? Maybe not like actual realized I'm doing anything, but the capacity and the capability is there. Yeah. Right. Like from day one, the ability to influence this world now, do you have to grow and you have to change and you have to get a voice and you have to walk and you have to do all these things? Yes. But then the other component that I was going to come to is the fact that her capacity, but yet then that tells you how important we have a role as a father, as a friend, as a sister, as an uncle, as a random stranger to impact each other for good because like not only do you have that responsibility and the capacity, but you're also influenced by that, which you're surrounded by. Right. And like to think about that, like it's, it's amazing to me that God gives us the chance to make those choices. Well, to be in the position that in some ways he is right. And and what I mean by that is, is, you are learning how to be a parent and it's probably hard and easy and fun and horrible and great and all the things hopefully better than not good but it's just the capacity that there's going to be a day when canyon is going to make decisions for herself and she's going to like you're going to teach her the best you can and you're going to be there for her and provide her advice but she will ultimately make decisions for herself and as like I think about God and his children, like he A, he was willing to send us to here where we got agency. Like, and how hard is that is to give your child the ability to freely choose. But then like the fact is like you have to go through that experience of like 
doing your best to influence this little child, which today you can do a lot, but then being okay with the fact that they have to make their own choices and walk their own path. And you have to have faith that hopefully that path leads to good things and then they can find joy and happiness in their worldly experience or whatever it is. But it's just such an interesting experience because God on a macro scale level is doing that same thing with us, Sean, where he had to let us make our choices. And he knows, like you probably know for Canyon, that like certain choices may be like literally lead to pain or literally lead to struggle. But eventually, right now you can control those, but eventually she will have to walk on her own two feet and eventually have to walk and do her own choices. And to me, that's what's amazing is like God gave us the ability to not only create, which is crazy to me that we have that capacity, but not only create, but then also know what it feels like to care so much about something and try to influence something the best you can, but then allowing them to grow just as you are, like allowing them to walk. So how do you build your own capacity personally? And how do you ensure that you are building that and using it appropriately for good around you? It's a good question. I, it, when you say build the capacity, I guess it's, I mean, I, I don't think everybody has the same capacity in life, same, but I do think it's like, I think we can increase it though. I, I do think we can, well, think I about think it. Think I, about, hold, hold on. If somebody goes into the military for, for instance, they learn how to work navigating finding someone, tracking someone down. They learn cyber cyber attacks or whatever, cybersecurity, right? They could use that knowledge that they learned then to help people track down child predators and human trafficking, or they could use it the other way to give someone ransomware and try to yeah. get, you know, yeah. some money. Same with physical um, presence where it's like, I know how to use guns and I know how to like beat people up. I could either go and like beat up my wife at home and tell her to get me a sandwich or, or I can go and protect people, especially those who can't protect themselves. So there's part of me that believes when you were born, you were born with certain potential and not all potential is the same. Like obviously we have potential to be like God and all that. But like, like you said, Hitler probably had the capacity on one side and the other. But when I think about like, reaching your potential, right? Like the things that we're doing in this life to be able to reach the measure by which you could, your maximal impact. Like I, I think about, have you ever heard of the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule? Yeah. Explain it, it though. It essentially is the fact that there's this like law in the universe that there's somehow this ratio between 80 and 20. It's like, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Like when you think about like even in a company or in a, there's this distribution between those that are doing <clears throat> a larger share of either effort or producing value or whatever it is. And you can think about that in terms of like, um, take a gym. 
there's probably 20% that can lift 80% of the weight. <laughs> or, you know, it's this principle that like there's this ratio between people that can and people that can't. And when I think about like maximizing my capacity for good, I think about, well, where can I be the 20%? An example is like cutting hair. I don't believe all hairdressers that learned to cut hair were born to cut hair. <laughs> There's a difference between a good haircut and a haircut. And it's hard to describe what it is, but you can definitely see it. Like physical results of like that was a good haircut and that wasn't, right? So when I think about like measuring and reaching your capacity for good and doing things to help that, part of me thinks you need to learn oneself to come to really an understanding of like my strengths, my capabilities, where am I really good at? Where do I not? And figure out where in this life can you be the 20%? That's the first principle I would say. I would say to measure up to your capacity to do good is figuring out, okay, what's my canvas to paint on? Like, where can I make a masterpiece? Sometimes that may be on a podcast. That may be in coding. That may be in leading people. Like, where can you be that 20%? And it's it's not necessarily, I think some have given up the fight where they just like assume like, well, I'm okay with mediocrity. I'm okay with just being the 80%. I'm okay with, and or maybe they do that in one component of their life and they find where to be the 20% in a different component. But for me, reaching the full capacity is one, you got to figure out like, where can you have the most impact because of your this combination between my skill set, how I act, what I was born, like what I'm actually good at, as well as this like intersection between something I'm passionate about and something I'm interested. Yeah. So this like natural wave of saying, I was born to do this, but not just because I was born to do this, but because I also chose to do this. Then the second capacity is I also think The mindset associated with how you think impacts who you will impact. And choosing to have a mindset and choosing to see, well, based upon where I'm at, how can I benefit the lives of others? Like even just having that man, that mindset to me takes you from reaching your potential of 20% to 50% or something, just from simply having the mindset of, how can I benefit other people's lives for good? Just even that belief that you can and having the mindset then takes you there. I've, I'm a huge um, proponent of, of learning how, so in my job right now, I lead four people and it's been a really interesting experience. And because part of it is one, I'm trying to figure out how to give them enough information to do the things that we need to do. But on top of that, it's like, how do I bring out the greatness in them? <laughs> how do I get them to actually enjoy their job? How do I provide opportunities for growth, both professionally and personally? And how do like, and how do I figure out what it is that like actually Sean wants? And how do I like care about this person? Like, it's just such a, interesting because I'm trying to learn how to pull and help and lead and guide this person because not only am I your boss, 
you're an individual, I'm an individual, and I'm in a unique opportunity to direct and guide you, especially from a work perspective. But I also think that I also have a capacity to impact the rest of your life because of what happens at work doesn't just happen at work. Like it seeps into the other components of your life, potentially. Yeah. No, everything's connected. Nothing's an island. I'm, I'm sure people, there are people out there who want to say, you know, I leave work at work, but I think that's impossible to a degree because it's going to affect you either in your energy level or in your mood or in, you know, some influence because I like what you said about what you believe leads you to what actually happens whether that's, you know, some law of attraction or whether that's just you are what you believe determines who you are around, which subsequently determines what actions you take and what influences you hold in your own life. I think there's, there's a huge amount of truth to that, to having the right type of attitude and being surrounded by the right type of people to lead to the life you want. And if you're not around those types of people, then you have something to change. Yeah, I, in some ways, it's almost like you have to test out different belief systems to see the results of such and the impacts on you, right? Yeah. Like, this world requires a lot of faith in any direction, right? Because you literally don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you don't know what's going to happen after you die. And you don't know, like I, even just from like a religious standpoint, I, I came to a realization one time that atheists say that they don't have any faith in God, but they still have faith because they don't know as much as they think they can prove something through science. And I just don't think that there is literally anyone that truly knows, well, unless you experience something that I don't know, or like you but in general, like you have faith in one direction or another. Well, it's the unknown, right? Faith is a belief in something that you cannot prove. So it's the future. I have faith that the sun will come up tomorrow, but the sun's been coming up my entire life tomorrow. And, and to your point about like the power of internal belief systems or, or how you frame, you then test the benefit of believing that. Like what benefit is there that there will be a sun tomorrow, figuratively and literally? You know, in believing that I have another day tomorrow to live or believing that you can be better tomorrow than you were today. Yeah. Like just these like, and when you, to me what it is like, I hope that these things are true and I have faith in them and I trust them, but I know my life is better just simply by having a certain belief system. And I know my life is better at least from what I, the tangible results or the, the, the fruits of whatever I've seen are better by believing, like, I know my life is probably better when I believe I can get married. Yeah. Well, it leads you to a different course of action. Leads to a different course of action. You actually try. You go on dates. If you didn't believe you would ever find a partner, you would never ask a girl out, which would essentially be a self- fulfilling prophecy, which is you're never going to find a partner. And I just think there's such, 
power and hope because it's tied, right? Hope isn't exactly the same thing, but belief and hope and the outlook. And, you know, Sean, I don't, I really, like, it's hard. I think at this point in this phase of my life to like have a hundred percent confidence that something's going to happen. I think, Um, I think you have to separate hope from expectation. If you were to expect something good to happen and it doesn't, then what does that do to your belief and what does that do to your attitude? Yeah. Another thing that my therapist once said is that you should get rid of shoulds and just say, it would be nice. It would be nice. That would be nice if I was married. Now, should I get married? Well, should and from like people's standpoint, but like, or like, you know, especially in context of the past, like, oh, this person should have done this thing for me. Well, when you set that expectation, you set this, the mindset of like potential failure or potential, like putting them in boxes or putting them in a way that they have to, instead of reframing it would have been like, well, it would have been nice if they had done this. It would have been nice for me to be married before the age of 30 or 33 or 35 or whenever it happens, but it didn't. And that's okay. And you figure out how to move forward from that. But I do agree, like setting unrealistic expectations, setting expectations that only lead to more frustration or more um, sorrow or just, you make, like, I really think about this, Sean. How often do we make our lives harder than it needs to be? Every day. Or we can every day. We self-sabotage ourselves. We put in these belief systems. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not easy. <laughs> like, I, you know, but I often think it's like, man, we we're living in this life and not to get back to a spiritual perspective, but we live this life and we make all these choices. And we don't get to choose the response or what happens as a result of those choices, but we make the choices. But sometimes I'm like, man, we make our lives harder. Like, I really do believe that, like, when you think about the commandments that we believe in, on one level, it could be like, oh, man, I'm not having fun. Or, But when you, like, really understand it at a deep level, you realize that, like, I think, at least inherently believe that my life is better by waiting to marriage to have sex. I think my life is better because you're avoiding all this unnecessary things that that you could potentially put on yourself. Like, so, and, or like, yeah, I guess I just like think about what God is trying to do to his children is giving them ingredients or potential just like rough guidelines that just say like, Sean, your life will be better if you just choose to do these things. Yeah. I think that there has to be a way of thinking where if nothing you want to happen to you is going to happen or it turns out that it doesn't happen in this life, you don't get married, you don't have kids, you don't ever get the career that you want or make the amount of money you want or whatever, you know, take your pick. If none of that happens, none of that occurs, there has to be a way of thinking and living where you are still living a not only fulfilled life, 
but you're useful to other people. You're constantly improving upon yourself, your own physical and mental abilities, emotional abilities. You are, you know, becoming the best Josh you can be regardless of what does or doesn't happen outside of outside of that, right? You could have the worst life possible from an outside perspective, but still be totally content and happy um, in what you're able to do because you are in control of those things. And I don't disagree. I think it's still hard to do. Very difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. Just because it's like... But how do you get there? How do you get there? Yeah, because like there has to be a way to get there. Because if not, then you are putting yourself at the mercy of what? Fate? Of something that's outside of your control to say, I can only be happy if X happens. I don't have any control over X. Yeah. And so you're putting yourself at the mercy of something outside of your control, which only leads to, I believe, misery. So you have to be able... Which on certain levels, then you're just saying that, well, you choose to be happy, right? You have to. And I do think that like happiness is a choice, but it's also a byproduct of multiple choices and, and also like, it's an oversimplification It is, but I, I do think there's a mindset associated with the fact that you can essentially then go and say, Okay, regardless of what actually ends up happening to me, I'm going to choose to find happiness in whatever experience. But I think, like, personally, the one other shift that I would put is not necessary to, like, choose to live a happy life. Happiness is great, but I think it's, like, a fulfilling life or a meaningful life. Yeah. It's different than a happy life. You may not be happy in what you're doing, but you could be doing something very good. And to me, back to maybe a conversation we were talking about before is finding meaning and figuring out like how to find meaning in what you're doing. It's, I think I've been told that there's meaning in family. There's happiness and there's value in like raising children but I, I think what then it becomes is figuring out how to find meaning and value and byproduct being joy in things you do control. And I can control my impact of reaching out to people, developing friends. Like, you know, we make choices of how much we interact with others. And so I guess that's what I'm thinking is like the way to have that is to one, identify things that bring value and joy and meaning on things you control and then figure out then how to continue to provide that in your life. And, and I like think like, you know, we can, I think there's different um, sources of meaning, but I think like one that is what I would call the fountain is people. I've yet to figure out how genuine human connection and helping others and has yet to not produce meaning and value. And so I think to me, the notion like, how do you get there? Well, you, you have to figure out what is valuable to you and provide meaning and then figure out how do I 
consistently do that on a sphere that I control. And I feel like if you can do that, then you can continue to, like, then it doesn't matter what waves come. Like, I think at this point, like, I, if we get back to the whole dating thing, I've tried. I really have, like, felt like I have been through the gauntlet and tried to manufacture relationships and been on, you know, and, and I've yet to figure, crack the nut in terms of like the optimal between meeting the right person, feeling what you need to feel. And in some ways I feel like, you know, if I really want to be married, I could choose to be in an unhappy married marriage pretty quickly. Do you think it would be unhappy or do you think even if it's not your ideal spouse from how you perceive your ideal spouse to be at the moment, you could choose a somebody that you trust, somebody that you enjoy and being around. Right. I think so. I, I'm struggling. So I've had this like recent conversation about the dichotomy between like, not being okay with mediocre and like pushing for whatever the best for you is. And then this whole notion that like the grass isn't always green on the other side, the grass is green where you water it. Right. This notion that you can, you can choose to make something green. But I, I personally think that like, this is a, I've thought about the notion of love and I really do believe that you can choose to love ever anyone. But I don't believe all choices are created equal. Meaning, I, I agree with that. So like, here's a prime example, and this is very, very different, is like, you know, you can choose to eat a steak versus eating a potato. Now, the choice to eat one <laughs> may be easy, an easier choice. It may be, well, I really love steak. So when I eat steak, like that doesn't feel like a choice, Right but you still made that choice. So I think what I've been trying to balance and like, I do think the grass is greener where you, you water it. But I guess the question is, is the ground barren? Like, is the ground prepared? Well, it, I think it also begs the question of, do you know what is actually going to be the best for you? Because you brought that up. It's like, okay, I'm going to go after what's the best for me, but that's assuming you know what that is. And, and that's quite an assumption. And I don't think you always know. And be granted, like, I, I, I have to think you have some intellectual um, humility to know that you don't know everything and to know that I don't know exactly what I need all the time. And to not know exactly how it's going to turn out. But how do you balance that between intuition, inspiration, and discernment, right? Where I think about like, yeah, I don't know everything. Like, granted, I, I broke up with a girl on, on Sunday. We dated for four, we dated, whatever you call it, four months. And it's just like such an agonizing experience because I'm like, I want this to work. Like I, 
I do. I wanted to work. She's cute. She's fun. Like not fun, but there are like some really good qualities about her and like on paper and thinking and I like set myself and, but I'm like going through this relationship and the, in my opinion, there was some obvious things that just doesn't feel like it's working, but I'm like, and to your earlier point, do I know what I need? Do I, you know, I like, I, I, I try to oscillate in this world of knowing that I don't know all things, but this is, I, I have no idea who you're talking about and I don't know your relationship. So I'm going to oversimplify this, but I do believe that no relationship, any relationship that you can see that doesn't have any red flags is just a relationship where those red flags haven't shown themselves yet. Because any relationship, successful or otherwise, that I have ever seen, um, if it's not successful, it's because, you know, two people got married and then they found out something about the other person uh, that they weren't expecting or that other person started shifting their behavior in ways that they didn't like or whatever. For the successful ones, it's the same thing, except they were able and willing to work it out. So, but I, my, so, and hold on, one more, one more thought. So my estimate is probably one of the greatest qualities you could look for in someone is their ability to suffer well. Because as you said, there is almost a guarantee that life will be hard at some point in the future. Very difficult. There's going to be unexpected turns. There's going to be very difficult days. There's going to be tragedy. And if you can just find somebody who knows how to navigate those troubled waters, the easy times are easy. Nobody ever needs help in the easy times. It's only in like the really hard times that you need somebody strong and somebody who knows, okay, this is what I do when times get tough and I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to focus on this. And I think that's probably one of the greatest benefits of, and that requires so much faith to be able to be like, man, I chose someone that's willing to choose me. Cause at the end of the door, like I don't disagree with what you're saying of there's going to be things about the other person or like, Every relationship requires growth and work, but like it comes back to that notion that I said earlier that, you know, you can choose your heart. <laughs> Some relationships shouldn't be as hard as they are, but you chose it and you can make it work. I, I think what we go back is this like whole notion of like, can you force anything to be anything or is there ever this like natural something, right? And this nature versus nurture, it will always be uh, something that I don't, people try to figure out the balance between the two. But when I think about like relationships, well, first off, I'm not married, so I'm not an expert. So I'm going to put that caveat that I don't, I haven't figured it out, but people who are married aren't experts either. No, I fully agree. But I think about like the notion that there are like, 
I guess when you think about like, what should I over emphasize or over focus on? Right. And you're saying, well, you need to figure out someone that you can work through life together, like work through struggles that choose each other, have faith. I also think like there is some natural response between you and whoever it is. Right. So for some reason, Sean, we, I feel like have always been able to have deeper conversations. And some people, it's not easy for me to have this type of deeper connection, start, think, right? Whatever it is. Some people, and I don't know why. <laughs> like part of me wishes I understood why is it that I can talk to some people and others I can't? Why is it that some people make me laugh and others don't? Why is it that some people are simply a lot easier to just have fun with and others aren't? And I, I don't know, but I do think that there is this something about the combination of our two spirits that produce something that beyond just like the connection that there's just like something that's created when two spirits are in the same presence. And when I think about marriages, I do think that you do need to find someone that it's a net positive with you being around them. Like, and not to say there's not red flags and not to say that there are not hard things that you're going to work towards, but this is like natural. It's a, and that doesn't mean like, and I've yet to like really define it because I, I think there is something like, you know it, but you can't necessarily understand what you know until you have experienced it. Like I know certain people are my, like I think about, how grateful I am for someone like Lawrence Lee in my life. He's such a good man. And I could tell that there's just going to be a connection with him from the beginning. But yet we both chose to continue to be friends. We both chose to work through times where I thought he was an idiot, which is not many. He's a great man and we're not dating. So it's not that hard, but like, so I guess what I'm saying is to your response of like, Everyone's going to have red flags, everything's, but I, I also think you can choose your heart and like not all relationships are going to be as hard as the other one. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm way too in this romantic expectations of like how it will be with whoever I end up with. But I like to think that it will be at least a net positive that our lives together will be a good thing that we help each other and we choose to help each other. I, I mean, I totally agree. I think there are definitely people who uplift you around you and you want to keep those people around like Lawrence. Great. Like Michael Moore. Great. You and me. I, I, I think we help perpetuate one another in, in positive directions in life. I don't think I would be as buff as I am today if I hadn't met you, Sean. So I don't know, man, you, Made a huge transition before we ever met. That's true. But I think, yeah, you're right. Didn't That's you? A, I guess. That is a fair. That was when I was younger, but. Yeah, you were I like, think, you were like a, I'm talking a, about a chubby my cross, younger kid. And I'm now you're. talking about my CrossFit transformation, which I don't think is full, that great. Because I actually think about when you were just in the program fit. versus. Well, I, but, and it's like, it's interesting about that. Like, think about being fit and having personal strength. You know. Some of that is because of your dedication to what you do. And some of that is simply genetics. Like we can't all be Brandon Her Herman. Herman or Herman? Herman. Herman. 
but yet he's also spent years yeah. in the gym to do what he's done, but he's also just freakishly really good at what he does. Like when you, when I, I explain that principle of 80, 20, Brandon to me is hundred percent in the 20 camp of like born to be a gym instructor. Like he just knows he's just so He's just good at it. Except like, he's not doing that anymore. He's not doing it anymore. Yeah. But, and like, granted, I think he like found trade-offs right there and he find other ways of being a 20%, but whether he chooses another area to be a 20% or not, that is an area he can be the 20%. And, you know, we, we both said it, like there's something special about his gym and his programming and the mixture between all that, that he's one of the best, one of the best I've ever seen. And it, like, why, you know? And it, it's so weird to me because it's like we're not all born to do the same things in this life. We're all born with just such unique capacity and capabilities for things. Do you know where your unique capacity, you said you were looking for it. Where can Um, you be the 20%? Where have you identified your 20%er? I think I am good at this mixture between thinking deeply about things like I often, when I was younger, I used to say like thinking to me is like breathing, like telling me not to think and telling me to think less. You're a philosopher. Well, it's just, I've naturally gravitated to it, right? Like that is just something so a philosopher or someone that just, it's a, it's a combination between like thinking and caring about and liking those deeper things. But like what makes my, me good at my job is the fact that like I am a generalist at heart. I like a lot of things and I actually believe I can be average at most things. Majority of things I can probably be pretty average. And like, so me understanding those capabilities, but I gravitate to areas that like require problem solving, require thinking, require like some mixture between like actual, just like knowledge of knowing how to do something and something that's like slightly creative. The mixture between those worlds, I don't emphasize them one or the other, but just this like, so I actually do think I'm really good at my job. I think I'm good at communicating concepts differently. Like I don't think I'm like the most verbose or um, charismatic person, but on my, on an individual level, like, you know, and it's hard because I think it's been honed through so many years of doing things. Like I have... I was talking today, we have this director at work and I just feel bad for him because he's just, he tries so hard in these things, but he falls so short on like being able to like communicate concepts and control a meeting and you might call it executive presence, but it's just like, and you see it and it's like a train wreck. And my person, like, I never really pointed it out until someone pointed out to me, but she's like, you're really good at like handling a conversation and working with executives and just this like communication slash like thinking slash just this like combination of things. So yeah, like I think why I actually think that core component and sorry, I talk a lot could have probably been applied outside of business, but it works really well in business because there's a lot of interesting things to think about and a lot of problems to solve. Do you know where you want to take that skill set? Um, Do you know how, how you want to build it? Well, I think I definitely want to further because I, I recognize that although I'm good at it, I think I could be better, right? Like when I, I work in strategy right now, 
I just now feel like I'm better understanding what strategy is and how to develop it and how to think about it and how to not only think, but actually turn that into action. But to be honest, Sean, I have kind of given up the quest to find my calling in life and just worry about what I want to do over the next two years. <laughs> because I don't, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't know what I want to be when I grow up. In fact, I don't know if I want to grow up. So it helps me to personally just get this into like incremental chunks of like, okay, I don't know what the destination is and I don't know where the end is. What is the next thing I want to do for the next what's, two years? What, what's your growth over the next two years look like? Um, well, right now I'm in a two-year cycle, so it may change in terms of where <laughs> it actually sits. But sure. I actually think, at least from a professional standpoint, I want to eventually get into a role where I run like a portion of a business, like something that's multifaceted, not just run like a marketing organization or run, but like a general manager type of con- where you're responsible for overall outcome and you're driving different levers within a business or within an organization across it. And maybe at a small scale, but because that's essentially a mini CEO or what it is. But I think that's my next avenue is I, I want to have a greater impact and I feel like I need somewhat, not training wheels, but just experience in driving multifaceted organizations and teams. So I think, I don't know when that experience will happen, whether it's in the company I am, or maybe it might take a jump and additional flips and whatever to get there. But at the end of the day, like I believe that I have the capacity to lead and I have the capacity to think logically and help and guide and bring smart people together and find people and put them, bring out their greatness per se. Like, so really what I'm focusing on lately is just to figure out how to be a good leader. Like, I think I've told you this before, but we think about the most scarce resource in the world today, and some may say it's gold, but when you think about, like, people like to think capital is a scarce resource or talent is a scarce resource, but to me, leadership is a really scarce resource in the world. Yeah. People that choose to be leaders. Who was it? Jocko Willink, I think. He said there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. It's... it's uh, somebody who's willing to take upon themselves the um, the responsibilities of the team as a whole. And I think that that is very important for any leader to be able to communicate with their team yeah. in such a degree where also they can do that. Did you take that class with um, Kimby Clark? Do you remember that class? I was going to, I dropped it after like two days. You missed out. But the one thing I remember him saying is there's no such thing as good or bad leaders. They're just not leaders. Yeah. <laughs> like they either are a leader or they're not. And it like made me think about like that component of like, what does it actually mean to lead? You know, and how do we define it? And it's very different than like, in some ways you could say, well, a dictator is a leader. But I wouldn't necessarily call that true leadership. Like leader, like I define leadership in a, maybe a different way than the world defines it. But like, and I think it is a skill that is innate as well as a skill that's honed. Like, because I guess what we could say is your capacity for good or your ability to help others 
is that innate or is that honed? Yeah. And I would like to think that everyone on this planet was equipped with the ability to influence others for good. Totally now, agree. To what measure, to what capacity, to how extensive that is. And on some of the most simple of levels, a leader is someone that is there to influence others for good. Now, you could also add in the frame and the lens by which it's helping others to do good, but you're also showing them and, in, and guiding them and influencing them towards that. But so if you ask me what my vision or what I'm trying to accomplish, it's that. And then on top of that, like that's like professionally, which I because to be honest, like I think you get to a point professionally where it's like, I don't know if I want to be a CEO. <laughs> Maybe, but it's a lot of headache and it's a lot of burden. It's and not it's for everybody. Of, it's not for everybody. And I just think you have to weigh those opportunity costs there. But I also think it's like I, to that point, like I would love to be married and I would love to lead a family. And I feel like there's a lot of growth that could happen in that. Yeah. But I don't know when that's going to happen. So despite that, I've just been thinking about like, how can I put myself in situations to just help other people or grow other people or I think there is definitely value in human connection. There's value in people around you. You know, obviously you die for your nieces and nephews and you die for the people you love. I think regardless of whether you believe in a God or not, there is, you can see value in the effect that you have on the world around you and the people around you. And that is enough. And I, I would, I think that's very good. I would believe in that too. I, I can get that. I just, I think that like this life is also really hard. It is hard. It so is hard. you know, balancing that being like, I'm willing to go through all the sucky because I think there's such that the other side is just so worth it just in this life in the confines of this, just like small experiment that I'm willing yeah. for both. And yeah. Well, Josh, you're awesome. You're Love awesome. you, man. Thanks for coming and doing this with me. Of course.